Sermons from Union Chapel Baptist Church. So we're continuing our series through the book of Matthew. Um, we'll be in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44. And I do want to preface that it's, I, I really like going through verse by verse um, because you can't say I picked this verse out because I'm picking on somebody today. <laughs> um, it may seem like that, and then that means that you're really listening. That's good. If you think this sermon is for you, it is. It's for all of us. And it'll hit different people differently, but God's Word is for us, and it's for us today. So give, give your ear to God's Word. So Matthew 13, starting in verse 44, and the title of today's message is, The Treasure of God's Kingdom. And we'll look at four main sections today. First, we'll look at following Jesus is worth everything. Second, we should heed the warning of rejecting Jesus. Third, we will see how we can be teachers of old and of new. And then fourth, we'll see Jesus' hometown rejection. So first, following Jesus is worth everything, starting in verse 44. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, buried in a field, then a man found and reburied. Then in his joy he goes and sells everything, everything he has, and buys that field. So this parable, this story that Jesus gives um, of what the kingdom of heaven is like occurs in the context of Jesus telling other parables to the crowd and to his disciples. Now he's explained that some of these parables, they actually hide the truth from those that don't believe. It will hide the truth that don't have ears to hear, that don't submit themselves to God. But these parables will reveal truth to those that are in submission to God, that those who have given their lives to Him. And a common theme that we have been seeing is that Jesus has been teaching about why some people reject His message, but some people believe. And here we have an example of one who accepts the message of the kingdom. And He accepts the message of the kingdom because He sees it as worth it. He sees the kingdom for what it is. Worthy of everything. Now, we, if you go to the beach, it's just a couple hours away. We go to the beach sometimes. And when we go, our, my kids, Rachel's dad would come with us, and he would bring his metal detector. And my kids would follow him around finding buried treasure. And when they find even like a piece of metal, or sometimes they find a little toy, they'd get so excited. They're filled with joy. They come running back to our, our spot where we're on the beach and telling us all about what they found, how they found it, where they were, and um, where, how they dug it up, and they're showing everyone their buried treasure. And just as buried treasure is exciting and fun for kids and even adults today, reading stories and watching movies about buried treasure, um, that's what, it was a popular ancient story and, and stories as well in the ancient times to find buried treasure. And buried treasure was actually probably more common and a real possibility in the ancient world because they didn't have banks like we did. 
They couldn't just go to the bank and keep their um, money or treasure secure, but they actually buried it in the ground. They put their wealth in a jar, they put it in a box, and they, they buried it. And the one who owned the field owned the treasure buried within. So the man in the parable was likely a farmhand. He was working the ground, and he comes across this buried treasure. And he finds the treasure in the field. So in the, in the parable, he has to go and actually buy the field so he can own the treasure. But to afford the field, he has to sell everything. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a buried treasure. It is both hidden and valuable. So first, we need, to, we need to ask and answer the question, what is the kingdom of heaven? What is it? What is Jesus talking about? He's been talking about it um, since the very beginning. The kingdom of heaven refers to God's rule, his reign. It is God's kingdom. And Jesus has invited us into his kingdom. We can be adopted as sons and daughters of the king through faith in Jesus, through faith in him as our God, Savior, and king. That is what he's talking about, the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom. Now, how is the kingdom of heaven hidden? God's kingdom is hidden in the sense that God must reveal to us the way into the kingdom. He must reveal to us the ways of the kingdom. Jesus describes the kingdom in parables, and it is hidden to those who do not humble themselves, but it is revealed to those who do humble themselves, who do submit and say, I have sinned, I have messed up, and I need Jesus. They will see the hidden treasure. We, see, we saw this, and I explained in Matthew eleven twenty five. 25, when Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. That is, that it was hidden from the wise and understanding in their own eyes, thinking that they are prideful, thinking that they don't need God. But he reveals it to little children, those who are humbly dependent on God, those who will see the treasure of God's kingdom. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, this is how he begins his Sermon on the Mount. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are, realize that they're spiritually bankrupt, who realize they can't offer anything to God to buy their salvation, who can't earn their way into the kingdom. But if they realize they're poor in spirit, he says, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's how you get the kingdom of heaven. And then third, how valuable is the kingdom of heaven? Being a part of God's kingdom is more valuable than a bit of metal or a toy that you could find in the ground. It is the treasure worth more than anything you own or will ever have. It's worth more than anything. The treasure of the kingdom is so valuable that the man joyfully, he goes in joy and sells everything to get the kingdom of heaven. And since it is the Christmas season, I was drawn to the story of the Magi. They left their home 
to find the Messiah. And when they get there, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly in Matthew 2.10. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening up their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave their treasures to the king. They saw that the king, Jesus, was more valuable than anything. They gave it all to him. So how does this apply today for us? Because Jesus' main point in this parable is to teach us, in one sense, that no material possession, nothing else is worth or should take the priority of God's kingdom. Being in God's kingdom, serving King Jesus, being a child of God, that should bring us more joy than anything this earth can offer. Thus, trusting in and following Jesus is not to be viewed as drudgery or forced or a chore. But Jesus teaches us here that to accept him, to accept and enter the kingdom, you have to see it as worth it. Now, salvation is the free gift of God through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And to find that salvation, to accept that gift, to find life and life eternal, Jesus said you must submit to him as God and king of your life as well. And to do that, you need to see the kingdom of God as worth more than anything. Jesus makes this point again in verse 45 with another parable. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, I went on a mission trip to China when I was in college, and we went to a city there that was one of the, uh, they had a whole bunch of pearls for sale. It was like a pearl capital of China. And it was really, they were cheaper than anywhere else in the world. You could get these pearls. And uh, we were, my, me and my team were going around on our day off and looking for a good deal on some jewelry uh, for our girlfriends and future wives, right? And we're trying to find, the, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money, right? So we're trying to find the, great, the best deal. But here in the parable, the merchant wasn't looking for a deal. He was looking for the best pearl. And pearls were so highly valued in ancient times, perhaps even more than they are today. So they may be as valuable as diamonds. So when you're looking at pearls in the ancient times, maybe think of how people think of diamonds today. For instance, I saw this one ancient source that depicted the value of one pearl. It says a single pearl sold for 13 roomfuls of gold. I mean, that's how valuable a pearl could be. So I was looking, you know, like I said, I was looking for the right pearl for the right price, but the merchant, he was looking for quality. And notice in verse 45, he says that he was looking for fine, good, his beautiful pearls, plural, right? And he may have bought some. He, he probably found some good ones. He probably bought them. But his life changes in verse 46 when he finds the priceless single pearl. 
This priceless or very precious or very valuable pearl was so great that the merchant sold everything he had. All the pearls he had bought before, his house, his land, everything so that he could get that one single pearl. This pearl stood out from the rest. It was different. It was far superior, better than all the others combined. So what does this mean for us? Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that pearl. The kingdom of God is beyond comparison to any other religion, any other false god, worldview, philosophy, material object, or even purpose in life. The kingdom of God, having Jesus as your God, Savior, and King, is worth more and thus should be the priority above everything else in life. So is the kingdom of God the most valuable thing in your life? What thing, what activity, what person, what in your life is competing with the kingdom of God? What are you holding on to, not willing to let go for the kingdom of God? How can we see the kingdom of God as it is? Jesus says it is the most valuable thing. How can we come to that understanding? How do we see it as the most valuable and worthy thing in our life? I think it, I have two, two ways forward. First, to see the kingdom of God as it is, I think it begins with a humbleness. Letting go of your pride before Jesus and before his word and trusting with all your heart and all your life that Jesus is who he says he is and that God's kingdom is the way that Jesus explains it. Second, we should continue sharpening our understanding and growing deep in our hearts the truth of who God is and how we are to live in his kingdom. Because we must grow in our understanding of who God is and his kingdom because we may have a false view of God or a false view of his kingdom, and we need to learn or relearn or be reminded of who God is and how his kingdom is supposed to be. So we should seek the truth in God's word, and it is there to find. And just like in parenting, in which we give our kids positive and negative reinforcements, for example, we say, eat all your dinner so you can have dessert that's a positive. Eat all your dinner because you'll grow big and strong. That's positive. Kind of like Jesus explaining the ultimate worth of the kingdom. He says the kingdom of God is worth it. That's the positive. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's worth more than anything. But also in parenting, we also have the negative reinforcement. Eat your food or you don't get to watch TV. That's a negative. So after giving the positive, now Jesus turns to the negative consequences. If you don't see the kingdom of God as worth it, there's going to be negative consequences for the rejection. So this is our second section. Heed the warning of rejecting Jesus. Verse 47. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish. And when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered the good fish into containers, but threw out the worthless ones. 
so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and, and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I've fished before, and I'm, I know many of you have fished, but I've never fished with a large net like in this story. I've always had one hook and caught one fish at a time. But I have used something similar, but not with fishing, but I've, when you collect a whole bunch of things and you separate them out, if you've ever panned for gold or panned for gemstones, what you do is you fill up your tray with dirt, and in the dirt, hopefully there's a piece of gold or a gemstone. But it's all together, and you have to separate them with water running through, and the, the dirt and the, the rocks will go down through the net at the bottom. So in a similar way, in fishing with a big net, they either dragged this big net between two boats, or they dropped it offshore by one boat and then dragged it to the shore with ropes. They catch a lot of fish at once, the good and the bad all together. Now, in Jesus' time, one commentator points out that there were at least 20 different species of fish found in the Lake of Galilee, most of which could be eaten, though some were favored more than others. And they also had to abide by the Levitical rule that only fish with fins and scales could be eaten. So that would eliminate a few. And, of course, some fish that were caught when they were too small or probably diseased which they could not be eaten. So this parable, Jesus teaches us that the, the good fish represent the righteous, those that are in right standing with God, those who have been adopted into God's family, those a part of God's kingdom through faith in him. The bad fish represent evil people, those who reject God, refuse to see the value of his kingdom. And they would rather live by their own law instead of God's law. Those who do not trust in Jesus as their God, Savior, and King. Jesus says both of these groups of people are together for a time. And just like the parable last week in which the wheat and the weeds grew up together, we, we see here the bad fish and the good fish will be in the net together for a time. But Jesus says that there is a day coming in which the good fish and the bad fish will be separated, just like the wheat, the wheat and the weeds will be separated. Just, like, just as the bad tree that produces bad fruit in Matthew 7, 19, Jesus said that every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Just that the same way, the bad fish will be separated and thrown into the fire. So what are, we, what are we to do th th with this? How are we supposed to apply this today? Now, if you're a good fish, if you are righteous, if you have been made righteous by Jesus, if you have faith in him, if you're a child of God, we need to be aware, we, we need to be reminded of, and see how God's kingdom works, as Jesus teaches, that there are bad fish in the ocean swimming alongside of us. And that this will be the way it is until the final judgment. It is God's plan to work this way, and we must trust in Him. We must trust in His plan. We must trust in Him to provide justice to those who do evil. We must be patient, and we must trust in God's timing to make all things right.
Because you may not, have, you may not want it that way. You, you might want immediate justice now, but you must be patient. We're not God. We must trust in His ways. Secondly, for us, for the good fish, this also means that we should seek to love and share the good news with everyone so that they can receive mercy and forgiveness. Because there is a threat there. that There is a, a warning for them who do not seek forgiveness. Because Jesus has called us to be disciples of him. And he is training us to be fishers of men. Matthew 4, 19. Jesus said, follow me, he told them. And I will make you fish for people. And now for the bad fish. If you are not in a right relationship with God, if you do not trust in Jesus as your Savior, heed Jesus' warning. See the consequence for the rejection of God. Run to the goodness of God's kingdom. Run away from eternal punishment of hell. Jesus likens it here to a blazing furnace, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And after detailing the positive worth of the kingdom and the negative consequences of rejecting the kingdom, Jesus asks a question, and he provides a further application of these truths as we turn to our third section, teachers of old and new. Verse 51, Jesus asks, Have you understood all these things? And they answered him, Yes. So oftentimes when you tell your kids something or even you tell adults something, it's good to ask, do they really understand? Do you understand what I just said? Because there's a difference between hearing and understanding. Because previously the disciples did not understand Jesus' parables. They had to ask him, what did you mean by the wheat and the weeds? And he had to explain it to them. He wanted to make sure they understand these parables, and they reply that they do understand. They understand that the kingdom of God, as we saw in past weeks, that the kingdom of God is starting small, like a mustard seed. They understood that the kingdom of God will grow like leaven in bread, growing among the weeds. And when they understand that the good fish in the net will be there with the bad fish, There is a mixed reception to Jesus' message. Some understand and some don't. Some repent and believe in Jesus and some don't. The kingdom is the most valuable thing and there are eternal consequences for rejecting it. They understand these things. For us today, the same is true. We cannot just hear Jesus' teaching, but we must understand Understanding, true understanding, requires a response. It, just, it is not just an intellectual exercise, but it changes your life. It causes you to sell everything you have and give your life to Jesus. And here, Jesus will give us another response, a right response of belief in Jesus. And if you really value the kingdom of God above all else... Jesus says we should do something. He moves his disciples to a response. Respond in belief and action. Verse 52, it says, Therefore, since you understand, therefore do this. 
Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. So if you understand, if you value God's kingdom, if you trust in him with all your soul and are following him, you are a disciple in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says here, you should also be a teacher of the law. Now, not everyone will be a teacher of the Bible in a formal capacity. Not everyone is called to be a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. But as a disciple, you are in some sense supposed to disciple and teach others. You're supposed to lead others to Jesus, teaching them what you have learned. Because if you have sold all that you have to own the buried treasure... If you have sold all your possessions to acquire the priceless pearl, you would not keep the treasure of God a secret. For when you truly understand the greatness of the kingdom and the truly horrific and terrible consequences of rejecting the kingdom, you will want to tell and teach others about the treasure and the eternal life you have found. And with this understanding of who Jesus is and what the kingdom of God is like, Jesus says you are like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. Since he is talking about a teacher of the law, and likely here between the treasures new and old refers to the Old Testament. So the old treasure like refers to the truths of the Old Testament, especially those truths that point to Jesus that prophesy about his messiahship. For example, Matthew 5, 17. Jesus says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. He came to fulfill the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. So we must not abandon or think any less of the Old Testament. We have seen time and time again Jesus quoting the Old Testament, Matthew showing how the Old Testament points to Jesus. We should value the Old Testament. And Jesus says, if you value the kingdom of God, you will be a teacher of the Old Testament. You'll, be, you'll bring this old treasure out and show it to people. Because remember when we taught on John the Baptist having doubts whether Jesus was the Messiah, what did Jesus do? He said, he quoted the Old Testament. He says, the lame are walking. The blind can see. So he brings that treasure out of the Old Testament to encourage John. Same is true for us. We should teach and be showing people the treasures of the Old Testament. And for the New Testament, the the new, the treasures that are new, refer to Jesus' teaching about God's kingdom. We find these in the Gospels. We see these reflected upon in Paul's letters and in the other books of the New Testament. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom and his interpretation and application of the Old Testament laws. So we are a people of the book, bringing out treasures of both the Old and the New Testament. So questions for us, questions for you. Are you a discipling disciple? Are you a disciple that makes disciples? Are you a disciple that brings out treasures both old and new? Do you see the treasures for what they are? 
Do you see God's word as a treasure worth sharing? Do you see the good news and the kingdom of God as a treasure worth sharing, worth learning about? Because it's going to be hard to teach and share if you haven't learned it yourself. And so after explaining the right response of his disciples who truly understand the kingdom of God, and after teaching that not everyone will respond positively to his message, we turn now to the fourth section, a real-life example of rejection. Rejection of Jesus himself in his hometown. Starting in verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? Suppose you grew up with someone, or you went to high school with someone who was just a real average, normal person. You may not even remember their name because they're so average. They're just so forgettable. But now, years later, after you see them and have... They've just been totally changed. They could hold the attention of a whole room. They might even become famous. You might be like, is this the same person that I knew in high school? How did this happen? This is kind of what happened with Jesus. He went back to his hometown and they said, who are you? How did this happen? Where did you get these things? How can you teach like this? How can you perform miracles? We, we know your family. We know your dad. We know your mom. We know your brothers and sisters. What is going on? They could not explain it. They, they were astonished. They were amazed. But they didn't know where he got these things from. They know that he, they, Jesus didn't get those things from his earthly father and mother. And they're right because Joseph was considered Jesus's legal father. Joseph was not his biological father. We know this. Jesus is the Son of God conceived by the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. And because Jesus is the Son of God, because Jesus is God in the flesh, because he is the Messiah anointed by the Holy Spirit, that is why he can do these things. That is how he has miraculous power. That is how he can teach with authority. But just like the Pharisees, the people in his hometown, they were trying to explain how Jesus was doing what he was doing because they could not deny his teaching. They could not deny that he was doing miracles. So they heard Jesus. They saw Jesus, but they didn't understand. Verse 57, they were offended by him. They were offended by Jesus. So Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. The people of his hometown, they would not accept him as the Messiah because they thought they already knew him. They thought that he was a mere man. No amount of teaching, no amount of miracles would convince them otherwise. So being a, they were 
offended by Jesus. And if they remained in that state, that is a devastating choice because they will not receive eternal blessing. As Jesus speaks about in Matthew eleven six. Jesus says, blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. But they are offended, so they will not be blessed. And since they rejected him and did not understand the point of his miracles, which was to show that he was God, show that he was the Messiah, the one to save his people from their sins, since they didn't humble themselves and turn to him, Jesus resolved not to do many miracles there. Jesus had warned his disciples that not all who hear will really understand. And here is a real-life example of just that. For knowing about Jesus, knowing about his upbringing, his earthly family, that does no good for spiritual understanding. So for us, does your idea of Jesus match that of the Scriptures? Does your idea of the Savior match that of the scriptures because the people in Jesus's hometown thought Jesus and thought the Messiah was something other than what he was so are we willing to admit when we're wrong about Jesus when we have preconceived or we may have wrongly heard something about Jesus are we willing to change those things when we're faced with the truth of who Jesus is And the call for us today is don't be offended by Jesus. Don't be offended by his teachings or his miracles. But see Jesus for who he really is. Today we've seen Jesus as the just judge. He is the one who at at the last day will separate the good and the bad fish. He will right all the wrongs. We can trust in his timing. We also saw in Matthew eleven twenty eight who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is who Jesus is. Will you see him that way? Don't reject Jesus because you can't explain him. Don't reject him because you thought you thought you thought he, you knew him as someone else. But come to him, humble, broken. Find rest from your sin. Find rest from trying to earn salvation. Rest and purpose for your life. For God's kingdom is worth more than anything in the world. Give all that you have, all that you are, to worship and serve the King. And continue to learn about the mysterious. The mysterious. Continue to learn about the great truths that God has revealed to us through His Scriptures, in both the Old and the New. Don't take His Word for granted. Seek to understand. Seek to obey by the power of the Spirit. And as you journey along life's paths, share with others the truth that has been taught to you. Be fishers, be disciples.
Thanks for listening. For more information, see unionchapelbaptist.org.